Today, we're talking about one of the most well-known facets of biomechanics. Even if you're not particularly interested in the golf swing, you've probably heard of it. It's the kinematic sequence. Maybe you have an idea of what it is or not. That's okay, because we're going to go in-depth with a guy who practically pioneered it in the field of golf. He's an Olympian and known as the 3D guy. It's Dr. Phil Cheatham. I ended up competing uh, in gymnastics in the United States at the World Championships and ended up staying at Arizona State and doing a biomechanics degree. And they had a computer, but they had no software. So I had to write the software to do a biomechanical analysis of my gymnastics skill to get my master's degree. And so that got me into motion analysis. And then I continued year by year, worked for the US Olympic Committee, developed a motion analysis system for them started a company called Peak Performance Technologies. He continued from there to develop another motion analysis company and got into sports more seriously. Imagine seeing a skeleton moving on a computer screen showing the movement of an athlete back in the early 90s. Had to be incredible. And at a physical therapy conference, a coach came up to him and asked if he could use it for golf. They did and got into the industry around 1995. That first client was a fledgling golf instruction company. You might have heard of it called Golf Tech. And eventually they ended up doing some work with a chiropractor named Dr. Greg Rose. When Greg Rose started TPI, he bought one of our systems. And then since then, I became an advisory board member with him and head of his advisory board for biomechanics. And we continued developing the kinematic sequence with the electromagnetic AMM system. And then we developed six degrees of freedom motion for the hips and the shoulders, wrist release angles, three-dimensional motion analysis of the wrist itself. And it just kept on going from there. And they literally created this thing we now know is the kinematic sequence. And he'd worked with a gentleman called Chris Welsh and they'd done analysis from video and they used the kinetic link to look at stuff. So Greg said, hey, well, can you do the kinetic link using the electromagnetic? And I said, well, yeah, but um, Chris Welsh has a patent. And so can't really do the same as Chris because he's got a patent on at least the procedure. And so we looked into it more and more and came up with some different algorithms that allowed us to come up with what we called the kinematic sequence, which was the velocity, the rotational velocities, which was different to uh, what Chris did. This is gonna be a great episode as we cover the theory and then what happens in the real world and how this can be applied when looking at the kinematic sequence. Dr. Phil Cheatham is going to help explain all of this for us and get us a better understanding of what this is and how we can improve performance from it. Hey, my name is Dr. Phil Cheatham. I'm a sport biomechanist. Currently, I'm the senior sport technologist uh, at the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista for the U.S. Olympic Committee. You're listening to the Golf Science Lab. We're bringing to light important research and concepts that you need to understand to improve your performance on the golf course. Hey, I'm your host, Cordy Walker. Thank you so much for joining us. This season of the show, we're looking at the golf swing. We're talking with some of the leading biomechanists and coaches who research the swing and are going to help us understand what's going on. Not through their opinion or what works for one person, but what the research says and what's going on in the motion of the golf swing and forces behind it. And if you missed the first episode, make sure to go back and listen because we explain some important terms and definitions and where we're coming from with all of this. You can find that in iTunes or on the website golfsciencelab.com. But if you are on iTunes, I want to help some more folks find the show there. 
So I want to ask for your help. We need some reviews so that it pops up in more searches and related posts. And I've been working on some Golf Science Lab shirts, posted them up in the Facebook group a while back and they seem to go over well, really well. So if you leave a review and shoot an email to freeshirt at golfsciencelab.com with a screenshot of your review, your address, and size, we're gonna pick 10 people to send a shirt to after we get to 100 reviews in iTunes. So number one, grab your phone, hop on your computer, Number two, leave a review of what you think, good or bad, either way. Number three, snap a screenshot of it. Send an email to freeshirt at golfsciencelab.com with your screenshot, your address, and your size. Message a friend, tell them to go do the same so we can get to 100 reviews and we can send these out to some winners. Anyways, thank you so much for helping us out and helping the Golf Science Lab mission grow. In this episode, we're talking about the kinematic sequence. And the sponsor for this season, KVEST, can help you measure your kinematic sequence. And in fact, the images and graphs you see on this page are going to be from KVEST Reports. And they've actually put together this free video series with coach Liam Mucklow, where he's diving into the full kinematic sequence. And as a coach, what he can learn from that and how he can help players gain more power and control. It's a fascinating look at how a coach can use this data to better help their students. Head over to k-vest.com slash gsl. You'll see a video of Martin Hall and right below that you'll see a big button with coach Liam Mucklow on it where you can click on that and go check out this free video series. It's really, really cool. k-vest.com slash gsl. Let me paint a picture of the kinematic sequence for you. And if you're not a word person, head over to the website and we have a ton of images on this post so you can see what's going on as well. So we start with a graph. On the bottom, the horizontal line, we have time. And on the left-hand side of this graph, on the vertical line, we have rotational velocity. We'll get to what that means in a second. But on this graph, we have four lines, different colors to represent different body parts. And we see all four lines start at zero on the far left-hand side of this graph. And they move to the right, gently sloping down below zero and back up to zero. And this takes about half of the graph. And this is the backswing. And generally in the model, you'll see the club rotating the most and the pelvis the least. The club being the farthest away from zero, and the pelvis being closest to zero. And when things get back to zero, that's the top of the backswing. Then all four lines sharply shoot up with the club the highest, then arm, pelvis, thorax, and then thorax being the rib cage. The peak for the club is impact. Then all the lines suddenly go back down near zero, not as sharply as they peaked, but in a gradual descent. And that's it. That's the kinematic sequence. Hopefully that's painted a picture for you to get an idea of what we're talking about with. But if not, make sure to head over to the website so you can see a kinematic sequence there. And here's what it tells us conceptually. Well, the kinematic sequence is basically the sequence of movements that is most effective and most efficient for increasing the speed of the end or distal segment of the body or an implement. For example, the golf club, or a baseball or a baseball bat or even your fist if you're punching or kicking in soccer for example Um, the body has a very specific way that it can make that segment go the fastest possible 
and that is by the sequential rotation of the large inner segments following to the smaller, what we call distal segments, that are much smaller and lighter. So energy is transferred first through the big muscles, through the part of the body, such as the pelvis, then the thorax or upper body, then to the arm, and then to the club. And it, it's a sequence of accelerations and decelerations transferring energy. So by optimizing the sequence, we're looking at getting the most power or energy to the ball as possible. So we go from big muscles to small and release them in a sequential order to get the most effective transfer of energy. And with this graph, this kinematic sequence, we're measuring rotation. Rotation speed, or actually more correctly, rotation velocity, is uh, the turning speed, if you like. Turning speed of the pelvis. How fast your pelvis is turning, like in degrees per second. If I were to jump up and spin around 360 degrees in a full twist jump, and it took me a second to do that, then my rotational velocity or rotational speed would have been 360 degrees per. So that's what we're measuring in the kinematic sequence. How fast the pelvis is turning, how fast the thorax is turning, and then how fast the arm and the club are actually swinging like a pendulum. I mentioned in the intro that Dr. Cheatham was a pioneer in the field. And this idea has been talked about since the 1960s, actually. But this sequence in this graph or what he pioneered. The origins of this idea first made its appearance in the seminal book that you probably have heard of called The Search for the Perfect Swing by Cochrane and Stobbs. One of the first references I can actually find to it indirectly is from Cochrane and Stobbs, which was The Search for the Perfect Swing. They have a model of the golf swing where it's a big disc with a little disc on top and then even a smaller disc on top and then a rod poking out of it, which is the actual golf club. And they had each one of these discs connected by a spring. So you'd kind of imagine in your head that you'd rotate all three discs into the backswing, tensioning each of the springs, which represent the core muscle, the shoulder muscle, and the wrist muscle. And they said that you'd have to release them in a sequential order to get the most effective transfer of energy from one to the next to the next. So that was way back in 1968. And that was, in fact, for the golf swing. But yeah, it's a very key principle. It's also known as proximal to distal sequencing and uh, the kinetic link, the kinematic chain, different names. We called it the kinematic sequence because we're looking at velocities of uh, the body. A lot of research, uh, Craig Baum and Bartels in 1985, they looked at it and they looked at it as like a whipping principle. If you stop one segment, the energy transfers and the next segment has a slightly lower moment of inertia, so it spins faster. And if you do it in a sequential manner, then you get the best gain out of it. In 1993, Carol Putnam looked at some research and she basically said that you could look at the sequence not just in velocity, but you could look at it in joint torques, joint angular velocities, segmental angular velocities, many different ways, but the sequence kind of comes out the same. And eventually, as we heard in the start of this episode, Dr. Cheatham, along with Dr. Greg Rose at TPI, and looking at some of the work of Chris Welsh, they created this kinematic sequence as we know it today. And when you hear people talk about this sequence, 
they're most often talking about the rotational kinematic sequence because there are graphs or sequences for different things, a linear kinematic sequence for the linear movement instead of rotational. Now, in the rotational kinematic sequence, there are two specific things that we should be paying attention to. What you'll see is there's two key important phases in the kinematic sequence. One is that transition. And at that point, you'll see the velocity curves going from negative in the backswing to positive in the downswing. And where it crosses the zero line tells you when transition occurs. And transition does not or should not, if you want to be most uh, efficient, occur all at the same time. We want to have the pelvis transition first, followed by the rib cage, and that gives us a stretch at the core, and we call that the X-factor and the X-factor stretch. So you've got a separation between your pelvis and your rib cage in terms of ro rotation. Of course, that we call that coiling or separation. But on the beginning of the downswing, the hips rotate first. That puts a stretch on your core muscles, your abs and your lower back, and allows you to fire your rib cage much more powerfully due to a function of muscle called the stretch shorten cycle. When you stretch a muscle, it increases the tension in the muscle, gives it a pre-stretch, allows it to fire much more forcefully. It also stores less elastic energy in the muscle itself. And so there's a number of benefits you get from this transition being in a sequential manner instead of all simultaneous x-factor and the x-factor stretch to see that that stretch was in fact more prevalent in pros than it was in amateurs so pros had learned how to use that actively so that's a look at why this sequential order happens and everything doesn't happen at once we're looking to generate more speed and power so now if we look at the downswing phase what happens there is as you start into the downswing with your pelvis and you begin to accelerate the rotation of your pelvis Basically, your upper body is along for the ride. It's gaining that energy by riding on top of the pelvis and rotating at the same speed. So now, at an instant, a fraction of an instant later, after the transition, early in the downswing, the upper body muscles are going to fire, the core muscles are going to fire, and the rib cage is going to rotate. What happens there is you have Newton's principle of action-reaction so when the thorax or rib cage fires, it has to push on something. So it turns the pelvis or tries to turn the pelvis back in the other direction. So you'll immediately see a deceleration of the pelvis. And surprisingly enough, the pelvis and the rib cage don't accelerate all the way into impact. They actually decelerate a fraction of a second before because of this sequential uh, firing action. So what happens is the rib cage fires on top of the pelvis and decelerates it slightly and kind of slingshots itself and gets more power and gets more speed. Then slightly, a fraction of a second slightly later, the arm fires and you see the same sort of thing. You see a deceleration of the rib cage curve and that transfer of energy keeps on going down the chain until finally the wrists fire decelerating the arm just before impact and then the club is the only one that actually speeds and accelerates all the way through into impact directly so there we go this phrase the cracking of the whip from the large to the small starting with the pelvis the thorax the arm and the club 
really makes a lot of sense. Uh, and real quick, when we use this term thorax or rib cage, we're talking about the same thing there. Also, maybe the word shoulders might come up, but we're trying to stay away from that. We're gonna use this term thorax and rib cage, that's the same thing. And that typically is a sensor when you're doing 3D motion capture that sits kind of on the upper back. So the question that you no doubt have is every tour player must do this, right? I need to go fix my kinematic sequence and I'll be incredible. Cordy, you've unlocked the secret. Well, not quite. We're all different and there's always variability. Does everybody do it? Does every single pro do it? Not necessarily, but um, most of them do and most of them get uh, some power from it. In fact, in our research, we found that over 60% of the tour pros have pelvis, rib cage, arm, club sequentially. 74% have pelvis, then upper body or rib cage, and almost 90%, 89% turn the pelvis first in transition. Also, if you're trying to achieve accuracy, like a long drive uh, guy doesn't have to have the same accuracy as a tour player, so his kinematic sequence is going to be optimized for power and speed, whereas a tour player is going to compromise a little bit of the distance and try and achieve some accuracy. So we see a high correlation with the pelvis transitioning first, and that's definitely something to pay attention to. But we also see that variability cropping up amongst the best players in the world. But there are some factors, there are some patterns that can give away that pro, that elite player versus the amateur that a trained biomechanist like Dr. Cheatham can see. It's truly amazing. When I look at a kinematic sequence signature graph, I can immediately tell whether that's a tour pro or an amateur. The signatures are just so consistent. Yes, the peaking order might be different. A lot of pros will peak with their lead arm before the uh, rib cage, perhaps. And that depends on the type of shot they're trying to make. But in general, you'll see the characteristics of acceleration, deceleration of the pelvis, acceleration, deceleration of the rib cage, acceleration, deceleration of the lead arm, and then acceleration all the way into impact with the club. And you'll be able to look at each of the, the, the amount of acceleration, the amount of deceleration, the amount of increase in speed, the peak velocities. And by looking at that, you can immediately see, oh man, that's a tour pro and they're swinging the club at 110, 115, 120 miles an hour. You're probably itching to go see what your kinematic sequence is and what some of the traits of your swing are. And I've done this before. It's fantastic. I recommend it. You learn so much when working with a coach who has a solid foundation in biomechanics and understand what's going on. You can see that they're constantly looking for why or trying to dig into the root of issues instead of trying to fix superficial issues that may or may not have an impact. And 2D video just can't do that. I'd like to explain the difference between two-dimensional measurement and three-dimensional measurement in the golf swing. Two-dimensional measurement is usually done from video and it assumes that the angle or distance you are measuring is at right angles to the camera view. If this is not true, then the measurement will be wrong due to perspective error. The golf swing is not a two-dimensional motion. There is nowhere you can place your camera that will be at right angles to what you want to measure throughout the whole golf swing. A perfect example of this in the golf swing is measuring the wrist set angle at the top of backswing or in early downswing from the front view using video. Generally, the angle will look much less than it truly is. 
So, getting really accurate measurements of the biomechanics of the golf swing, you cannot use 2D. You must use a three-dimensional motion analysis system. So, you'll need motion capture, or a 3D system. With motion capture, what we can do is we can suit you up, and there's many motion capture systems out on the market now that can do the kinematic sequence based on kind of the background and the, the definitions that we created over the time, both with myself, with AMM, and also with the Titleist Performance Institute guys. And what it is, is the rotation velocity of your pelvis around its own local coordinate system, the rotational velocity of your upper body or rib cage, and the rotational velocity of your lead arm or actually swing velocity of your lead arm and the club itself. Here's how that looks. There are a few types of systems, but there's three that you've probably seen or heard of. The first being an optical system, and, and there's a company called Gears which does that, where the golfer has little white balls all over their body, and then high-speed cameras pick up the movement. That's one system, an optical system. Or we have inertial sensors, which would be the 3D systems by KVAS, the sponsor of this season of episodes. So those are made up of accelerometers and gyroscopes, and they look like little blocks, about two inches by two inches or one inch by one inch, which you put on the body and then are typically Bluetoothed to a computer. And when I was talking to the guys at KVEST earlier this year and the tech that they're using, these sensors are actually what's in a fighter pilot helmet. Really interesting fact of the day there. Uh, and since they're a sponsor of the show, definitely go check out what they're up to. K-Vest.com slash GSL. Check out some videos and content that I put together for you that I think you'll find most interesting there. And then we have another type of system, uh, which Dr. Cheatham pioneered with AMM, which is an electromagnetic system. And we'll have some pictures on this page so you can check out some of these motion capture systems at golfsciencelab.com. So you strap on sensors or whatever the system might be. And if you want the full kinematic sequence, like we talked about earlier, it's going to be at least one on the club or hand, one low around your hips, which is the pelvis and then one on kind of the back of your shoulders, on your spine, and one on the lead arm. And so these track your motion in space and you can capture a golf swing, which you can then put through some of uh, Dr. Cheatham's algorithms, which he pioneered to see this kinematic sequence. But not all systems are created equal because we need to touch on this concept of degrees of freedom quickly. Yeah, degrees of freedom is the way you're able to move. We live in a three-dimensional world, so what comes to mind first is forward, back, left, right, and up and down. And that's what we call linear motion, and that's three degrees of linear motion. So you can move your hips towards the target, away from the target. That would be sway and slide. You can push your hips forward and backwards towards the ball and away from the ball. That would be thrust. And then, of course, you can drop up and down, so that would be drop and lift. Those are three degrees of freedom of motion. But that's only three. We have another three degrees of freedom that we can move. And that would be um, how I can orient. Let's take the head, for example, how I can orientate my head. I can be uh, move my head from side to side, up, down, forward, back. But that doesn't tell me what direction I'm looking. I can look down. I can look up. I can look left. I can look right. And I can tilt my head to the right side and to the left side. So that's another three degrees of freedom. And when we're referring to the pelvis or the rib cage, we call that forward bend, side bend, and turn. So there's your uh, rotational degrees of freedom, angular degrees of freedom, and that's measured in degrees. 
So we have three degrees of freedom that are measured in feet and inches or meters and centimeters. And then we have another three degrees of freedom that are measured in degrees. One's linear, one's angular. And if you haven't been tested on motion capture before, I'd recommend it. I think it's definitely something to check out. Will it be the cure-all and will you finally be able to hit the ball like a tour player? Probably not. But is it? will you get some interesting data? And if you find a great coach, will they be able to offer some really good reasons on why things are happening in your golf swing because of your body? then yeah, I think you should check it out. And just to reinforce the purpose of why we look at the kinematic sequence, here's why from Dr. Cheatham again. One benefit is if you optimize it and you put everything into it, you'll get the highest club head speed. The other benefit is if you optimize it and don't put as much into it, you'll still get a decent club head speed for less amount of work and energy if you like. So it's a way of maintaining high club head speed without killing yourself or without working too hard on every single swing all right i think we can call it for today but we've barely scratched the surface we have a lot more to learn just from the 3d guy dr phil cheatham next week he's back so stay tuned subscribe to the podcast and watch for next week's show if you have a suggestion feedback or question Make sure to head over to the article that goes along with this show at golfsciencelab.com and leave your feedback in the comments or shoot me an email, hey at golfsciencelab.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the insider list at golfsciencelab.com slash insider so you can stay up to date on everything that we're doing. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. It was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions. Music on this episode includes I Believe in You by Lee Rosevier, licensed under Creative Commons by 4.0, Simple Hop by Broke for Free, licensed under Creative Commons by 3.0, and Solitude by Jazar, licensed under Share Alike 4.0 International. And we'll see you all next week on the Golf Science Lab. 